Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ezekiel 22 and verse number 30. I'm just going to read one verse of scripture in your hearing and then you'll be able to be seated. Happy Father's Day. Amen to our fathers. And we all the time say, and I know uh, these days can bring a myriad of emotions, a myriad of emotions uh, for ones who have lost uh, fathers already and maybe others that reflect back and do not have a good uh, father son or father-daughter relationship to reflect upon. It can be very uh, tenuous, you might say, uh, these type of days. And so uh, we respect you, amen, and the feelings that you might be contending with this morning in your own life, amen. And so we pray that the love of God would come alongside you today. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, Ezekiel says this, he said, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Ezekiel says, I sought for a man to stand in the gap to make up the hedge, but I found none. A little while this morning, I just want to talk to you on this simple subject of man hunt. Man hunt. Amen. Let's pray today. Father, we come to you this morning. God, we're grateful again to be in the house of the Lord. We're grateful today, Lord Jesus, to feel your presence, Lord, to sing the songs. And, Lord God, to uplift you, Lord, through praise and worship and adoration. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us even now. God, let something be conveyed that we can tuck back into our soul and our spirit, our minds, that God could be beneficial, if not for today, for days to come, Lord, instructional, Lord. God, in all these different ways and fashions as your word is, in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen to the church. Say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. A bone-weary father dragged into his home very dog-tired one evening very late. It had been one of those very unbelievable days of pressure and deadlines and demands, just almost insurmountable for just one man to handle within a day. And so as he returned to his house that evening, he was looking forward to some time of relaxation Perhaps some quietness, you know, all things may be well at the household. Exhausted, though, he picked up uh, the evening paper and he headed to his favorite easy chair and he sat down there by the fireplace where his easy chair was. And about the time he was going to untie his shoes and just plop down, also something dropped into his lap and that was his five-year-old son with a big grin on his face. And he said, hi, Dad, let's play. And no doubt the father loved his boy dearly, but he needed a little time alone to just kind of repair, think, recover from the day's events. You know, he, he felt like he needed that time more than being with little Junior at that moment in time. But he was thinking to himself, how can I maneuver all this? How can I, you know, still feel like he's getting attention and I can get some personal attention that I need? And so there had been a, a very recent uh, moon probe and the newspaper carried a huge picture of the earth 
uh, on one of the pages. And so with a flash of much, much insight, the dad asked the boy, he said, son, he said, go, go get me a pair of scissors and bring back some transparent tape. And so little junior, junior went trotting off and he grabbed the scissors and he came back with the transparent tape. And quickly the father began to cut up the picture of the earth and just every imaginable shape that he could into various shapes and sizes. And then he handed junior the homemade jigsaw puzzle that he had made of the earth and the newspaper gave it to him in a pile. And he says, listen here, buddy. He says, you go and tape all of this back together in the right place. And when you get it done, come back and then we'll play together. He's like, so little junior scampered off to his room. Dad breathed a sigh of relief. And then in less than 10 minutes, this little boy bounded back into the living room where his father was just kicked back, had taped everything perfectly in place. And the father, somewhat stunned, looks at junior and says, hey, buddy, you know, how did you do that so fast? He said, ah, oh, it was easy, daddy. You see, there's a picture of a man on the backside of the sheet. And when you put the man together, the world comes together. Before there was a church, before there was a nation spoken of in Scripture, before there were children born, before there was the creation of woman to be a helpmeet, there was a man. God could have started the very beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden, the whole realm of humanity that he chose. He could have started with the family from the very beginning. If he wanted to, he could have simultaneously just created Adam and Eve and any children that they would have had from the very beginning, but he did not. He saw fit to establish everything, including his church and the nations that would come on the back of a man. In the beginning, everything was staged and everything was set. The plants of the field, Genesis tells us, awaited their placement in the earth and the herbs of the field anticipated their first shoot that would grow from the ground. But the Bible particularly tells us that God withheld the rain because he held back the rain so these things would not grow with this purpose. He says, because there was not a man to till the ground. In other words, I could cause it to happen. I, I could cause all these things to come forth. But I want the involvement of a man in the process of the tilling of the ground and the growing of the seeds and the tending of the plants. The furtherance of creation was at a halt, according to Genesis, until there was a man. But whenever man was formed and God planted that garden in Eden and caused everything to grow out of the ground, the Bible says he sat man there in order to dress that garden, in order to keep that garden. Even as we turn our pages a few chapters over from the creation story to the story of the flood, the Bible says when the wickedness of the earth was great and every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil, continued 
continually. The Bible says a man by the name of Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God entrusted that man with the preparation and the plan of preparing an ark for the saving of a remnant of humanity. As you and I know, those eight souls were his own family for the saving of his own family for the repopulation of the world. God again depended upon the row of a man. It was a man that God called out away from his country and his kindred of the land of Ur of Chaldees and he revealed to him that he wanted him to go on a journey not telling him the destination not telling where his goal would be this man goes out on a journey this solitary man by the name of Abraham and God would later make a great nation of him amen for a treasure unto the Lord they would be his people he would be their God and they would bless every other people but all of that started, the very origin of it was a man called Abraham. And so there is somewhat of a gasp of surprise in our own lives. Amen. And among the people, it seemed that even in the Old Testament, we read this on several occasions. And I'm even wowed about the concept and the idea of it because the Bible says that God, this great, this great creator of the universe, this one that is formed and made all things and keeps all things in harmony, it says that God hearkened to the voice of a man. Amen. It doesn't say that God hearkened to the voice of a king. Oftentimes it don't say that God hearkened to the voice of a warrior. It don't say that God hearkened to the voice of this or that. It doesn't tell us the label. It doesn't tell us their position. It doesn't tell us their office. It just simply says that God hearkened to the voice of a man. The, just a man. It doesn't matter what role you serve in. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO. It doesn't matter if you're a janitor. But God listens to the voice of men someone say amen and that's the way it is in the Bible this is the way that God has ordered it from creation he has set things up as so that whenever man veers off course whenever man goes in a different path or deters it would seem like scripture supports that the whole family suffers whenever man veers off course society at large suffers whenever man steps outside of the path that God has designed for him the Bible tells us in James I believe it is speaking of the woman Eve that she was the first in the transgression in the garden of Eden she was the first in the transgression but when you read the account of Genesis and God came to confront the transgressors in Eden the Bible says he came looking first for the man Genesis 3 and 9 says and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him where art thou? He didn't come looking for the woman. He didn't come looking for her children. Of course, they weren't there in existence yet. But he came looking for the man because God intended on building this thing of nations and churches and families and people on the back of men. I'll tell you this morning that the, 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 the program of God, amen, and the wish of God and the desire of God has not changed. He still wants to build his nations and his countries and his families upon the back of men. Men, amen, that have a voice that God will hearken to. Amen. Charles Alexander Eastman was a Sioux Indian, and in his, his uh, uh, reservation, 
uh, he had heard as a young man growing up, and this was his quote, but he said from childhood, he said, I was consciously trained to be a man. He was a Sioux Indian. He said, from, from childhood, I was consciously trained to be a man. He said, that was after all the basic thing. But after that, I was trained to be a warrior and a hunter. And so notice the progression he has for us. He says, first I was trained to be a man, and then they would train us to be warriors, and they would train us to be hunters. I dare to say today that oftentimes we are asking for and wanting, even sometimes from our children, we're wanting warriors and we're wanting hunters or we're wanting this and we're wanting that. Amen. But they got to be groomed for that. We would all understand no one's just born an athlete. Nobody's just born uh, with all of these giftings and talents that they can just assume the role that they all have in their life but Eastman even confessed this Indian confessed in his training he said we had to be trained to be men and then after that a warrior and then after that a hunter amen every warrior has and must be according to him a man first and so perhaps the dilemma is this if we have a lack of warriors perhaps it's because they were never trained to be men first There are some things that we believe that it's set apart like from a gender or rows of gender. Like if you're going to be a mechanic, you just got to be, be trained to be a mechanic. There are some things though who find their basis and find their foothold and find their very foundation. For instance, in being able to rear our children that this is what a man is and this is what a woman is and this... I know that's not popular in today's society, but there are still just certain ideas and concepts and scruples that belong to the gender of male and female that even God has prescribed from the very beginning. Yes. We need to be able to train men to be men. David is near death. He's on his deathbed. He's using some of his final breaths for instruction. And he admonishes his son Solomon with these words in 1 Kings 2.2. He says, David says, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and shew thyself a man. Now listen, if David was known for anything in his lifetime, he was known for being a warrior. Right? Lion, bear. Now, that's a manly man. I don't know how many we have among us. Maybe Kevin. I don't know how many of us can stand up. I handled the lion and the bear with my bare hands. Right? But David could. Take down Goliath. You know, just some nine-foot-tall giant. Right? All these other feats. Going into the Philistines. Taking down several of those. Right? Bringing back, the Bible even says, the foreskins of them in order for the marriage with one of the daughters of Saul. All these different, amen, things that he did. He is a man of war. So much so, the Bible says he was not allowed to build the temple of God because there was too much bloodshed upon his hand. He is a warrior. Yet in his parting 
breaths as he's about ready to depart out of this life. Brother Zach, he doesn't look at his son Solomon and say, shoo thyself a warrior or shoo thyself a man that knows how to handle a slingshot or shoo thyself as a man that can handle a sword. That's not what he told him. That were not the dying words of his father to strive to be a warrior. What David told Solomon was this. He said, shoo thyself a man because he knew every potential warrior. Amen. His son could become a warrior, yes, but not unless first of all, he gets first things first. He must know how to be a man. He might even and would be a king someday, but he didn't say be a king. He said be a man. Learn how to shoe thyself a man. The Bible says in our scripture text, and I know there's just one verse, but good homework would be to read several chapters out of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is ministering a course as a prophet to Israel and to Jerusalem during some very dire straits and moments of their history, Jerusalem is guilty of everything imaginable under the sun. According to the word of God, they had shed some blood that they should not have shed. They were worshiping idols and false gods. They had acquired a disrespect for holy things. They were being very lewd in every imaginable way. All of these things were the order of their day. And yet in the middle of this meltdown of humanity, in the middle of this meltdown of a kingdom of Israel and spiritual upheaval, Ezekiel resorts to the concept of seeking for a man. Because that seems to be how everything has been built from the very beginning on the back of a man. And so Ezekiel resorts to looking for a man. The Bible says that he needed somebody to make up the hedge. He needed someone to stand in the gap. He believed a man, if a man or some men could be found, that they would be able to safeguard the land of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem from total destruction. Because at this moment, Jerusalem is very vulnerable without a man or without men. Ezekiel has a wall around about Jerusalem that has some breaches in the wall. There's some holes in the wall. And so he needs some men to be some wall builders because there's holes in the wall. He needs some men that prior to that particular hole being, being able to be rebuilt, he needs a man that's just going to be able to stand in the gap. Because the wall is the city's defense. The wall is the city's means of protection. And so he needs some people, some men, in order to monitor the gaps and the holes that's in the wall of Jerusalem so it can remain protected. It can remain safe. These openings, no doubt, would allow anybody in. If, you, if they did not have someone monitoring the hole in that wall, people, enemies for that matter, adversaries, could enter in the gaps and enter in these places in the wall and get an upper hand on Jerusalem. He knew that every hole in the wall would be a place where people could both enter the city and people could leave the city and he says so I sought a man I sought some men I sought just some listen here's some of the job description of some of these men Ezekiel's just saying I got a hole in a wall and I need you to stand there 
It's not very long. Brother Mason, that's a pretty short job description. He's just saying, I just need a man that can stand, amen, where the hole of the wall is. That's what I'm looking for. And I need some other men that might have the ability of putting stone upon stone and mortar between mortar and fill back in the hole. I need some of you to stand there until the builders get there. Can I find a man or some men that can just stand in the breaches of the wall? And yet as he searched left and right and up and down, the Bible speaks to us he could not find any. Ezekiel 13 and verse 5 says, they had not gone up into the gap, speaking of men, neither made up the hedges for the house of Israel to stand in the battle of the day of the Lord. He couldn't find anybody just even to stand in a gap. He couldn't find anybody just to make up the hedge. And as a result of there being no man or nor force found to turn this thing around, to eliminate the vulnerabilities of Jerusalem both in the city and both for the temple they would be destroyed if he couldn't find some men to stand in the gap and make up the hedge the people would be taken away to captivity they would be taken away to bondage all because of a lack of men now look what the scripture says and you can read it in your own time but the Bible says that Ezekiel sought for a man among them and he looks in very specific areas. He looked among the priest. But the priest of this hour had violated the law of God and they had profaned holy things. Couldn't find one. He looked among the princes, which if you have a prince, that denotes that there's a king. He looked among the princes, but the Bible says even they had shed blood and had destroyed souls. They had got dishonest gain. He could not find any among the princes. He sought for a man then. Well, if I can't find him among the prophets, if I can't find him among the priests, rather, and I can't find him among the princes, then he sought for them among the prophets. But according to Scripture, at this time, all the prophets were liars. They were just prophesying things that people wanted to hear. They were tickling ears. They weren't telling truth. They weren't sounding no alarms or giving any warnings. We'll just say what you would like for us to say. He said, I sought for a man among the prophets, but they are all liars. And for that moment, he said, they attempted to repair the walls uh, with untempered mortar. And that's never going to hold. That, that's never going to repair the wall like the wall needs to be repaired. And so finally, the Bible says, couldn't do it among the prophets, the princes, or the priests. He says, I guess I'll just look among the common man. And he looked among the common man and the Bible says that even the common people, they were all oppressors and they were all robbers. And we begin to scratch our heads and come to the realization, no wonder that Ezekiel could not find a man because he couldn't find it among the priests. He couldn't find it among the princes. He couldn't find it among the prophets. He couldn't find it among the hierarchy of the leadership of their society. So how do you expect him to find it among the common man? Because Hosea even said, he said, like people, like priests, you're going to find among the common man. Uh, you're going to find what they are is a reflection of what their leadership is. You got a bad priest, you got a bad prophet, you got a bad prince. You're going to be hard to find just a normal man that's going to be worth a dime if you don't have it up in the hierarchy. No wonder he could not find a man. But this is the thing 
that has always been resolved according to Scripture. This sort of thing is what has always been resolved by a man. I mean, it started with a man, and oftentimes it's been sustained by a man. In the New Testament, one man by the name of the Apostle Paul that many of you are familiar with, he proved in Acts, I believe it's 27 and 28 around there, Paul proved to the saving, the Bible says, of 276 other men that was upon the same ship that he was upon. He was responsible. Just one man. Moses has this nation of Israel in the numbers of millions. And God says, you know what? These folks are getting on my nerves a little bit. They're grumbling. They're complaining. They're not appreciative of anything I'm doing. I think I'm just going to blot them all out, and I'm going to begin a new nation with you, Moses. I'm just millions of them. I'm just going to go, goodbye, and we're going to start over. But this one man, Moses, takes a step forward, says, not so, God. If you blot them out, you've got to blot this one man. You gotta bluff this one man out. Abraham sitting on a hill looking over Sodom and Gomorrah is having a conversation with the angel of the Lord. And he says to the angel of the Lord, Will you destroy him if you would find 50 righteous? What about 40? What about 30? What about 25? What about 20? And he's bargaining back and forth with God for the sparing of a city. One man! was doing that. Why? Because again, cities and peoples and nations depend on a man. David said, he said, be of good courage and let us play or let us act the men for our people and for the cities of our God. In other words, David was conveying in this moment, we really must act like men today if we're going to save our people and if we're going to save our cities. I held that in this hour. If our families are going to be saved, if our churches are going to be as they need to be, if our nation will be as strong as it ought to be, we're going to have to act like some men around here. Sought for a man, but I found none. And so Ezekiel was seeking for someone that could not be found. And it's in this instance, I wonder if his mind and ideas and thoughts didn't harmonize with what David had said in the psalm when David said, what is man? God, that thou art mindful of him. Because God, you, you spun the planets into orbit. You created the beasts of the field and the fowl of the air and you separated the light from the darkness and the dryer from the waters. You did all of this. And these are just vast marvels of the world that continue till this day, I believe Job even says. So what's man really in comparison to all of that, you know? I mean, uh, you know, their dad's just kind of listening to podcasts and they's talking about digging and fracting and wells and things of that nature. And, and they were just making mention how the core of the earth, the temperature of the core of the earth is the same temperature as the surface of the sun. What's man... When you begin to think about stuff like that? I mean, whenever you begin to think that if we were just a few more degrees tilted on our axis, we would burn up on this earth or three degrees in the other way, we'd be in the eternal ice age here. What's man? 
I mean, Lord, you created the angels. And the Bible even tells us that man was made even a little lower than the, the angels. What's, what's man to you that you would be mindful of him? But he's been set up in Scripture as pivotal to all things, God. But where, Ezekiel must have been thinking, where is he now? I can't find one among the prophets. I can't find one among the priests. And I can't find one among the princes or the common people. What is man? We turn over to the New Testament scripture for the resolution or the solving of Ezekiel's problem. The Bible says in John 19, you all should know John pretty well. John 19 and verse 5, the scripture says this is leading to the crucifix of Jesus Christ. Then came Jesus forth. Wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. He has a crown of thorns on his head. Those thorns being an emblem, but nothing of the sin and the failure of the first man. The Bible says in Genesis that thorns and thistles would come from the ground because of the sin and the transgression of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so the second Adam is wearing on his head the failure of the first Adam. Whew. But he's wearing it as a crown and he has a purple robe wrapped around him indicating his royalty and his leadership. God, why are you mindful of man? I'll tell you why. Because God built this thing on the back of a man. Because God knew that that back could handle stripes of healing for you and me. God built it upon the back of a man because he knew that the blood that flowed from the man Christ Jesus could take care of our sins and could take care of our sickness. He built it upon a man because he's mindful of him because he knew in the man Christ Jesus he was going to bear the cross and hang on that cross as a man shed blood for the redemption of all men. See where the first man failed, the man in Christ Jesus succeeded. Where the first man sinned, this man was tempted in all ways like you and I are, yet without sin where the first man was earthly the Bible says that the second man or the second Adam was heavenly where the first Adam was made a living soul the second Adam was made a quickening spirit and I say all that to say this today God became what we could what could not be found so that we might find out what we could become Ezekiel says I couldn't find it God, even through the prophet Isaiah at one time says, couldn't find him. Isaiah 63 and 5, the Bible says, and I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, God says, mine own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury it upheld me God says there was a moment in time amen that I sought for a man but none could be found I sought for one as well as he called through priests and prophet and prince and among the commoners but I couldn't and you know what I decided I'm going to have to use my own arm now listen God's a spirit right John 4, 24, God's a spirit. He has not flesh and blood or bones like you and I do. How in the world can God talk about an arm when he's a spirit that doesn't really have an arm? 
Now I know he can speak in terms that you and I can relate to, but I'm just wondering if he looked through the course of time and seen the man that he was going to become and say, by my own arm, I'll bring salvation. But that required a man. That required flesh. That required blood. They deemed Jesus, please, just a little while longer. They deemed Jesus in New Testament scripture occasionally. They called Jesus a prophet. In other places, they labeled him a teacher or a rabbi. However, whenever he spoke at different times in his earthly ministry, they often said this, never a man spake like this man. God wanted to bridge the gap between him and humanity. Humanity, so he sent his son. Others called that boy the Messiah. Some of them called him the King of the Jews. According to one of the disciples, they reported what people thought about Jesus, and they said, Some call you Isaiah, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. Herod thought that John the Baptist had come back to life, but it's clearly stated in 1 Timothy 2 5 that Jesus Christ became the mediator between God and men. Man, Christ Jesus. He's been found. The, the man's been found. So while Ezekiel could not find among the prophets a man, the Samaritan woman looks at Jesus along the well and says to the man, Christ Jesus, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Ezekiel couldn't find a man among the priests, but it doesn't take very much reading in the book of Hebrews until you realize that the man Christ Jesus, the Bible says, was made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Ezekiel could not find a man Brother Malone, among the princes or among the kings. But Acts chapter number three tells us that the man Christ Jesus is the prince of life. Revelations 1.5 tells us that he declares that he is the prince of the kings of the earth. So watch it now. Ezekiel could not find a man among the prophets, the priests, the princes, or the people. So God manifested himself in flesh as a man and he fulfilled the office of a prophet and he fulfilled the office of a priest and he fulfilled the office as a prince because everywhere in those divisions that Ezekiel couldn't find a man, God says, I'll come down and be the man for the redemption of men. Amen. Because this thing has been built from the beginning on the back as it would seem of a man. Revelations chapter 5. John has a vision. Most of Revelation is John writing and recording the conversation and visions that he did have. And in his vision, he sees a book, the scripture says, that is written within and without on the backside. Seals with seven seals in the hand of one who is sitting on the throne. In verse number two, the question is asked, Who 
is worthy to open the book. John's about ready to start crying and weeping because the scripture says there was no man in heaven or on earth or under the earth that was able, might I say even worthy, to open the book, to read the book, even peek inside the book. And so John begins to cry and John begins to weep because there is no man. And it's important for the book to be open. And it's important for the contents to be revealed. But there's nobody, there's no man worthy to open it. And just when John thought all hope was lost, and then just when John thought it was a lost cause, and the elder came to him and told John, he said, John, behold, or see and look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, prevailed to open the book. And the Bible says as John turns his head to see this line of the tribe of Judah that is worthy to open the book, this root of David. As he turned to look, the Bible says what John saw was a lamb as though it had been slain. See, Jesus Christ, different from every other man because he is both man and he is both also God. And as deity, as God, Jesus Christ, he was the root of David. He's the one from which David came. But then on his human side of being a man, he was the offspring of David. He could trace his lineage back to David. So he's just not the typical guy. How can someone be both the father of David, so to speak, and also the son of David? Amen. Christ, as deity, is the root of David, but as humanity, he finds his roots in David. The Bible says in Revelations 5 and verse 8, and when he had taken the book, speaking of this lamb as though it had been slain, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has been redeemed, and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. He who came forth, the line of the tribe of Judah, the lamb as though it had been slain, who came forth, the Bible says, was worthy when just a moment ago, they could find no man and for sure no man able or worthy to open the book. But this lamb, as though it had been slain, which is, you know, just, just really terminology because John the Baptist called Jesus Christ the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He called the man Christ Jesus that. Here was a man with blood, blood for redemption, blood that could redeem all of us other men. All of us other ladies to God. 
God, who as Philippians says, who was in the form of a servant, in the likeness of men, in the fashion as man, had blood and was worthy to redeem mankind. It still takes a man. It took the man Christ Jesus or you and I would be on a constant chase in search for redemption. You can stand with me, but it's found today. In that prophet, priest, king, prince, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through his redemption, he'll make us all kings and priests. Say, well, Brother McGee, are you talking to us? Are you talking about God? Yes. <laughs> yes. Still takes men. But I'll go as far as say this. It takes men that's been redeemed by the office of a man. Christ Jesus. Again, God became what could not be found, that Ezekiel could not find, so that you and I could realize and find out what we could become. So the Bible says it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know in that day of catching away, we shall be like him. And as the little boy with his profound witness in our beginning story came about, Applies still yet when we put the man together, the world comes together. Thank God for a reliable man found in Christ Jesus. Thank God for a faithful man found in Christ Jesus. And Brother Chester said it this morning on our, on our video, all of us men and all of humanity for that matter are fallible. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to flub up. But thank God for the man Christ Jesus that we can still get a covering and a washing in and from perhaps just to make us a better man for tomorrow or just a better man for the next hour. Amen. I want to be like him, don't you? Can we bow our heads all across this place? There may be sitting men here in, my, in this audience here today that you need. You need the man Christ Jesus. You need the blood that that man Christ Jesus shed to be a covering for you, to empower you, to help you. If this thing from the beginning has been built on the back of a man for our wives as, as, as they are and our children and our families and our church and our nation, if it all began there, why can't it continue and be maintained by that? More particularly by a godly. See, because what we had in Eden, and I'm shutting up, I'm sorry. What we had in Eden was a man in the beginning that was submitted to God. Right? And the success of Eden would have went beyond the time of that failure if the man and the woman in Eden would remain submitted to God. God had enough faith. I can build this on the back of a man, even as he did with Abraham, even as he did with Noah. I can build it on the back of men that remain submitted to me. When Ezekiel couldn't find any, God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to redeem man back to a place where they can forfeit their human rights and surrender. Whew, 
to the salvation message that's found in the man Christ Jesus and resubmit to God through Christ. And he says, when they do, I can build families with that man. I can build churches with those men. I can build nations with them. Thank you, God, for coming down and becoming what could not be found so that we could find what we could become. These altars are open. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.